Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. In the kingdom of God, almost the opposite of our Christmas folklore, in an unexpected move, God makes people who consider themselves on the naughty list the ones that get the best gift. Now tonight we're going to look at what the Bible says happened around Christmas, the nativity narrative. And then we're going to look at the options that that gives you. An angel named Gabriel goes to Nazareth and he appears to a teenage virgin. She's probably 15, 16, 17 years old. Her name is Mary. She's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will make her pregnant and that she's going to give birth to a baby who's actually the Lord, the Son of God. Now, Mary says she'll do whatever God wants, but she knows that in her culture, which we don't really understand, an honor-based culture, that getting pregnant out of wedlock would dishonor her. It would bring shame upon her and her house. Uh, It would be awful. And so as Mary begins to grow and to show, people see that she's pregnant and undoubtedly they were bad-mouthing her and probably shunning her and insulting her. Joseph feels terrible. Back then, engagement was a more binding contract than marriage is for us in our culture. Joseph and everyone in Nazareth would have been positive that Mary had betrayed him, that she had brought shame upon herself and insulted Joseph's family. He could have had her stoned to death or publicly shamed, but he's a nice guy, and he's decided to just publicly, just privately divorce her. And then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And the angel tells Joseph not to be concerned because the baby in Mary actually was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that he's to call his name Jesus because Jesus means Savior and he's going to save his people from their sins. He's actually Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this must have been incredibly difficult for Joseph. His family would have felt dishonored. His friends would have thought him a fool. And in an unexpected move, Joseph goes ahead and marries a pregnant teenager. The only reason, that's what the angel told him to do. So he takes care of Mary, but he's not physically intimate with her for a long time. And Caesar wants to count everyone in the Roman Empire. And so the men have to go to their city of origin. Joseph is of the lineage of King David. The city of David is Bethlehem. And so he has to go to Bethlehem to be registered as part of the Roman Empire. And he takes Mary with him. Now, this is a very odd thing because Mary is about to give birth. And you would think that, well, she would have stayed with her family to give birth or at least with his family to give birth. But he takes her on a journey And she gives birth on that journey, which probably meant that Joseph and Mary are on their own, and their families have both disowned them. Probably took them several days traveling to get to Bethlehem. When they get there, the inn is full, so many people traveling around getting registered, and there's only a spot for them in the stable, which is probably more like a cave with livestock, and the baby Jesus is born wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in 
a manger. A manger is not a glorious thing. It's a very simple thing. It's a trough where animals would have drooled for years. It was disgusting. You don't put a baby in a manger. It's unexpected. Unexpectedly, God is born in the poorest and humblest of circumstances. Now, nearby, there were some shepherds out in the field watching their flocks. And shepherds were the lowest and kind of the despised class of that society. And an angel appears to him, scares him half to death, and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the shepherds go to Bethlehem. They see the baby Jesus in a manger, sure enough. And after Jesus has been born, the Family moves to some sort of a house. We don't know how long they're there, probably some months. Mary recovering, the baby growing, and then some men from a far country, we call them the Magi or wise men, they arrive. They've traveled for weeks. They studied a prophecy in their country in a completely different religion about a unique king whose birth would be announced by a special star. And so they followed that star to Jesus and they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they had stopped by to see Herod on the way. So now Herod is out to get Jesus, sends his soldiers. This is the evil King Herod, sends his soldiers with the orders to kill every male child under two. But Jesus and his family escape because, again, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and they go to Egypt. King Herod dies within a few years. They return and they raise Jesus in Nazareth. This is the nativity narrative. It is a true story with many unexpected elements. The unique divine son of God took on human form and was born of a virgin, unexpected. Instead of being born in a palace, he's born in a stable and put into a filthy feeding trough, unexpected. Instead of being visited and honored by royalty initially, he's Visited by the lowest, the shepherds, unexpected. Instead of being wealthy, he's dirt poor, and God sends from probably about a thousand miles away some men of a different culture and religion who provide them with gold, money, which is probably what got them to Egypt and back. Unexpected. Now, at Christmas, do you like to just give people what they know they're going to get, or do you like to give them something unexpected? I like to give them something unexpected. Have you ever received an unexpected Christmas gift that was really great? I have. Do you think maybe God wanted to surprise people with an unexpected gift? But what if the way God does things is so unexpected, so out of the box, so different than anything we would ever imagine that it makes it very difficult for wise and smart people to believe he actually did it. Now, think this through with me. And for some of you who are not convinced that Jesus was God born in a manger, they just think of Jesus as, oh, he's probably a really good man. You, you may, this line of reasoning may appeal to you. 
Look at the unexpected, unusual, difficult to believe claims made by Jesus' followers like me for centuries. First, that he's born of a virgin. You know, experts tell us that over 100 billion people have been born on this planet, and we claim that only one was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's one in over 100 billion. Hard to believe. Second, that although people expected a Savior, a Messiah who would come and conquer and be victorious and be in charge, unexpectedly, Jesus does not kill his enemies. In fact, he chooses to willingly die for his enemies. He's betrayed, he's tortured, he's crucified. So unexpected that back then in that honor culture, no one could believe that that could possibly be something the divine Son of God would do. It was considered absurd, laughable, that God would allow himself to be so dishonored, so abused, and die in shame on a cross. And then thirdly, it was completely unexpected when Jesus came back to life. The disciples didn't expect it, even though he told them they hadn't understood, and they'd given up. They thought it was over. They were in hiding. But then he appears to them numerous times during about 40 days. And then finally, it's unexpected when the gospel, the good news about Jesus, who he is, and the forgiveness and life that he offers, the people that spread it are simple, uneducated fishermen. Very unexpected. So it's perfectly understandable that no wise or smart person would be inclined to believe that God would behave so unexpectedly. Since it's outside of our experience, a virgin birth, one in over 100 billion, thousands, tens of thousands of angels singing in the sky, since it doesn't sound like God as we would imagine him, we would imagine him victorious and strong and powerful, not humiliated and dying on a cross. For a wise and smart person, it seems hard to believe. And just, if you feel that way, initially you should know that in the ancient world, everybody else agreed with you. Even Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, when all of his buddies who he'd been with for years said, we've seen Jesus, he's come back to life. No, he hasn't. So why would any wise and smart person believe that God invaded earth as a fragile baby born of a virgin in a dirt poor family in a backwater subjugated country and that he then willingly died for his enemies so that they could be forgiven and restored to a loving relationship with God and that he then conquered death and proved who he was by coming back to death. Well, C.S. Lewis was a very wise and smart man who pretty much against his will became convinced that Christianity was true. And if tonight you feel like, well, maybe you should at least kind of look into some of these things, some of these claims, maybe... You're not all the way convinced, but you're willing to kind of take a look. I highly recommend one of the bestsellers of all time, Mere Christianity, we'll put it on screen, by C.S. Lewis. See, C.S. Lewis became convinced about Jesus for many reasons. I'm just going to go into one of them. Today, some people think that the accounts of the Bible about Jesus, about him rising from the dead or the virgin birth, were put together so long after Jesus' death that they're really just legends, kind of like the legend of King Arthur, or the legend of Hercules. And as professor, a chaired professor of medieval and Renaissance literature at Cambridge, smart guy, C.S. Lewis knew how legends worked. Unlike the Gospels, they were writ- that 
legends were written hundreds of years after the alleged events. They were written according to a certain literary style of their day, and they portrayed a hero as a hero. Speaking of the Gospels in the Bible, C.S. Lewis writes, I've been reading poems, romance, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life, and I know what they are like. I know none of them are like this. Of the gospel text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned how to read. I really like that quote. What he means is, for, for example, if it were a legend, it would not have included that Jesus was tortured and crucified as a common criminal because in that day and that society, that would have persuaded everybody that he was not who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, that he was, that they should not follow him. So Lewis would say that Jesus' disciples were reporting what they saw, that they themselves were at least completely convinced that Jesus was the Son of God who had died and rose again. And since they were eyewitnesses, if it was all a sham or a lie, they would have known, but they go on to willingly die for what they believe, and nobody willingly dies for what they know is a lie. So for me, for C.S. Lewis, for many of us, that's, that's strong evidence. But God knows that strong evidence is not enough for most wise and smart people. See, God's behavior is described in the Bible as we're seeing tonight, this sequence of, it's just a, it's unexpected. It's so foreign to our experience that to believe, most of us really need to hear from God. Most of us need to sense him at least nudging us, confirming in our hearts that this sequence of unexpected events actually took place. See, people in the ancient world, they weren't different from you. They felt the same way. And as the apostles took the message of Jesus to them, similar to Thomas the disciple, they just initially scoffed. But then as they saw the apostles do powerful miracles, healing people, and as they had dreams and visions, and as sometimes they would just kind of feel God confirming in their hearts that this was true, convincing them. The Holy Spirit is here now. And some of you have sensed God's presence. And he's here to, to speak to your heart and tell you this is true. That for all, as unexpected as it is and as foreign to our experience as a virgin birth or a resurrection might be, God wants to speak to you and tell you that it's true. Are you listening? See, many of you, like me, you've experienced God's confirmation, this nudging and it's not that I don't think the evidence is important. I, I do, and I've studied it, and I, I think it's compelling. I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us and rose again. But in addition to that evidence, he's confirmed it in my heart in ways that I can't shake. When I read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, I, I know it's true. And I know that some of you have had that experience in the past, even though at this point you would you've somehow convinced yourself that that wasn't actually God's voice speaking to you. And maybe it was that for some, you decided that you would convince yourself that that was maybe just the pizza you ate because you decided you wanted to chase after some form of pleasure or success in a way that God said was wrong. And perhaps for many more of you, it wasn't that. It was that 
God behaved in a way in your life that was unexpected by you. And he didn't, he didn't protect you or a loved one of yours, and so you got mad at him. And you convinced yourself that he, all those things that you had thought he had said to you, he didn't. That was my situation. I was so disillusioned, disappointed with God, I actually became an atheist. I built up defenses around my heart, but eventually, God broke through. He nudged me along. And if that's what you need tonight, God is here. You know, one thing we always see when difficulties come in people's lives, they go one of two ways. They either go through it with God or they go through it without. And maybe you chose to go without and maybe now God is trying to speak to you. Are you listening? Now even those of you who do not believe that the divine Son of God was born in a manger, you probably think that Jesus was a, a very good person or one of the best. And if you consider yourself to be a good person, don't you owe it to yourself to seriously consider what you might learn from what is arguably one of the best people who ever lived? And again, I would recommend to you that book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, or another one, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And if you don't like reading that much, it's now a movie. You can watch it. It's supposed to be very good. Do you consider yourself a good person? Not perfect, but someone who tries to do the right thing, who, who tries to be loving. As a good person, would you want to become an even better person with more patience and kindness, with less worry and less disappointment about yourself and about others? Do you believe in God? You probably wouldn't be here if you didn't. Most people do. Wouldn't you agree that God might choose to do things in a surprising, unexpected way, a, a, a way that you might never think of? And as a relatively good and smart person, you probably know other relatively good and smart people who unexpectedly became convinced about Jesus because in addition to the evidence, they just knew. One option you have tonight is to decide to take a very serious, deep, spiritual look at Jesus and just ask God straight up to confirm that this is the truth or not. But not in a shallow way. Seriously. And you might even surprise everyone and do the very unexpected thing and become a serious follower of Jesus yourself. Life is like these two gifts. And most of us see the shiny one, the very attractive one, and it's supposed to represent things like, oh, health and wealth and a wonderful loving family and respect and friends and pleasure. And almost all of us go, go for that. We, we just really, we, we reach for that. And there's nothing bad there. And sometimes people actually obtain it and often they don't. It's good things. But tonight God is offering you a much bigger and ultimately a much better gift. What did God give? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's gift is his son. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
And the world became flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Tonight God offers you the best, the biggest gift of all. And it's, it, isn't necess- it doesn't necessarily include health or wealth or a perfect family or great success. What, it, what God gives you is himself. He comes as a baby and he dies for you and rises again to give you life, to give you the best gift you could possibly have, which is actually not just following Jesus, which if you're a good person, he'll make you even more loving. But far beyond that, the best gift is actually God himself. Because experiencing his love and knowing him and in the next life in all of his glory is better than any other gift you could possibly receive. I hope you'll take that option seriously tonight. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. For loving us so much that you did what we needed and not what we expected. And now that in addition to all the testimony you've left, that you yourself speak to our hearts. We ask that in this moment your Spirit would break through. Speak to each wondering heart here. Speak to each one that would would know the truth. That we might sense that inner confirmation that we might be unable to escape from knowing that you came, were born in a manger for us, died and rose again so that we might be part of your family and know you and be loved by you. So speak to us each now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. We are so grateful and honored that you worshiped with us tonight. Thank you so much. In a moment, when you're dismissed, we'll, we'll blow out the candles, and we encourage you to uh, turn them in by the door into one of the receptacles that will be there. I'd like you now just to take a moment and raise your candle. Now look around, especially if you're in the front, look to the back. It's always one of my favorite moments of the year. Pretty exciting. And would you, would you keep them up for a moment? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he fill you with his spirit and confirm his truth in your heart. May it become inescapable for you. May he fill you with peace and joy this Christmas. And may he give you the deepest desires of your heart and the greatest gift of all. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.